Open your Bibles to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. Tonight we're going to be in verses 23 through 37. We're going to title this passage, It Is Finished. If you've been uh, paying attention and taking notes, you'll, you'll note that last week we, we examined the crucifixion of Jesus. Uh, John uh, briefly looks at the details of Jesus' crucifixion. He just takes a few snapshots of events that took place in Jesus' crucifixion and, and tells us that Jesus was crucified. And when he says that, all sorts of mental images and pictures are jumping into people's minds as they understand all that crucifixion means. For, for us, there's, there's a little bit of a, of a gap because it's not something that we're necessarily all that familiar with. So last week, we dove into all that the crucifixion meant in what Jesus did for us. And, and, and we, we, we talked about a truth that we've been communicating from the the beginning of this series is we've looked at Jesus as the Savior of the world, and that is that Jesus endured the cross to pay for my sin. Jesus endured the cross to pay for my sin. That's an essential truth that we must keep on our minds as we examine this entire scene. It's not just a story to be appreciated, but that there's a personal element to it. There's a personal element in which what's being endured, what's taking place as God in the flesh is dying. It's being done for me. It's being done for you. Well, in our passage tonight, we're going to focus in on the moments that lead up to Jesus' death. We just sang fundamental truth about this event. The cross was enough. The cross was enough. It's, it's, it's sufficient. There's no additional work that we can offer the cross is enough. It's, it's finished. What happens when Jesus gives his life to atone for the penalty of our sins, when he dies on our behalf, it's, it's complete. It's finished. And we're going to see that in our text tonight, that the work of redemption is done. Well, John tells this story in a very unique way. If, if I were to ask one of you to, to give me the story of Jesus' death, you probably wouldn't tell that story the way that John tells it here. It's almost as if he gives a whole bunch of unnecessary details. John's going to look at, look at four different scenes on the cross, but they're all scenes that, that don't seem to make sense consider, considering what John is ultimately trying to communicate. There's a... If you ever have the opportunity, the privilege of, of, of getting married, one of the things that you'll discover early on in your marriage is that men and women communicate very differently, very differently. Um, for example, when I, when I come home from work at night, uh, Alyssa will often ask me, how was your day? And my answer to how was your day is naturally very simple and very short. I, I think back on my day and I think my day was good, or my day was bad. And if I'm trying to think through the details of my day, which is often what my wife will ask me for, you know, like when I think back on my day, I think, okay, I went to work, I worked, 
And then I came home from work. I just don't think in very specific details. It's, it's not how men's minds often tend to work. However, if I were to flip that question on my wife and ask her, how was her day? Well, we could be there for a minute uh, because she has the ability to recall details that I would never even think to recall. And so she has uh, stories and details for what Ezekiel did that day and where they went and, and how the grocery store was and whatever. It, it could go on and on. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's how she seeks to communicate. Well, John is going to communicate this story of Jesus' crucifixion and his death in a way that's very different than we might think to communicate it. And it's easy to be misled. It's easy for us to maybe even misunderstand what John's goal is in how he communicates this story. And so as we, as we break this down, as we evaluate uh, this, this story as John presents it, we're going to break it down in this way. We're going to look at four scenes on the cross that reveal two important truths. Okay, so a little bit of a complicated outline tonight. Four scenes on the cross that reveal two important truths. Now, I think the best way for us to wrap our minds around this is before we jump into those four scenes, I want to look at the two truths that these four scenes are going to illustrate. These four stories are going to drive home these two overarching truths. So I want to lead with those, bring you up to speed on what those truths are, and then we'll jump into the stories and see how they drive those messages home. So let's look at the two important truths, the two important truths that, that these four scenes and the way John presents the story of Jesus' death will reveal. The first truth is that God is is sovereign over Jesus' death. God is sovereign over Jesus' death. When we say that God is sovereign, what that means is that God is in control. That everything that's happening in Jesus' death is ultimately a part of God's plan. We know that from the beginning, from the beginning, before you and I ever existed, before anyone ever, before the world existed, that God had a plan for salvation. And everything that is taking place in this scene falls under God's authority. Everything falls under his plan. Everything falls under his sovereignty. God is in control. Now, the way that this truth is going to be primarily revealed in, in this story is, is based on the fulfillment of prophecy. We're going to see time and time again that something took place in order to fulfill the scripture. In other words, what that means is that there was a point in time long before Jesus was ever on the earth in flesh that God prophesied what was going to happen in Jesus' life. In, in verse 24 of John chapter 19, look at, look at verse 24. About halfway through, we see this was to fulfill the scripture. Look down at verse 28 at the end. This was to fulfill the scripture. Look at verse 36. For these things came to pass to fulfill the scripture. Verse 37. And again, another scripture says what John is doing is he's showing us that all of the events that accompanied Jesus' death were all part of God's plan. He prophesied, for, he prophesied all of these details. They were talked about in the Older Testament. There, there, were, there were prophets who spoke of these events and details a thousand years before Jesus was ever on the earth. 
And so as we're reading this story, as Jesus is being crucified, as Jesus dies, it would be easy to see and to think that Jesus is being defeated. That the war is being lost. That God's plan has failed because his son is dying. But what John wants us to know is that that couldn't be further from the truth. Yes, Jesus is dying, but this is all part of God's plan of salvation. This is all part of the plan. God is in control. He's sovereign over Jesus' death. So that's the first important truth. But it's easy in emphasizing that truth for the reader and for us to make the assumption that God then is just forcing this plan upon Jesus. He's sovereign. And so Jesus is almost just like a, a, a robot. God has the plan and Jesus has no, no choice, no, no free will. He's, he's just, he, he has to go about in accordance with the Father's plan. And that's not necessarily true. Jesus is not a robot under God's sovereignty. And that's the second important truth that John seeks to reveal. That Jesus is obedient in his death. Not only is God sovereign over Jesus' death, but Jesus is obedient in his death. In these stories, we're going to see that Jesus is submitting himself to God's sovereign plan. Jesus is actively saying, Father, not my will, but yours. Even in Jesus' death, these stories are going to reveal an obedience, a submissiveness to the Father's plan. It's incredible the obedience of Jesus that we're going to see in this passage. If, if there was ever a time for Jesus to avoid this, this active obedience, this would have been it. If there was ever a time to, to stop being others focused, to stop focusing on fulfilling the law, this would have been it. He's, he's on the cross. He's dying. He's lived a perfect life. But even on the cross, even in his death, he's actively obeying God. God is sovereign over Jesus' death. And Jesus is obedient in his death. So then, with those two important truths in mind, I want us to walk through the four scenes in the story of Jesus' death to see how they reveal those truths. So, the four scenes. The first scene is that Jesus' garments are divided. Jesus' garments are divided. We're going to read verses 23 through the beginning of 25. That's the first scene. Let's read that together. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts. A part to every soldier and also the tunic. Now, the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to decide whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. So in this first scene, we see an 
explanation of Jesus' garments being divided. What's happening in this scene is it was normal for the, the crucifiers, the soldiers who would actually go about crucifying an individual to, to divide up all of that person's possessions that he brought with him to the cross. Normally that existed of, of nothing more than that person's clothing. And so what the soldiers would do is, is as, a, as almost like a bonus for crucifying someone, they would divide that person's clothing among all of the people that had crucified him. Well, that's exactly what happens in this scene. Jesus is, is led to the cross. He's crucified. But it's important to remember that Jesus is still alive. When it says in verse 23 that the soldiers had crucified Jesus, that doesn't mean he's dead. That means they've, they've nailed him to the cross. They've, they've lifted him up. He's on the cross. He's hanging there. So John takes his eyes off of the cross and goes to the, to the soldiers. And there's, there's, there's four of them. We know that there's four soldiers crucifying Jesus because they divide his garments four ways. Now, Jesus apparently had five pieces of clothing. Uh, we're not told what the other four are, but we're told that each soldier got one of the first four pieces of clothing. But then they come to an article of clothing called the tunic. The tunic was, was, was a piece of clothing that was wearing, worn closest to the body. It was like worn under everything, but it, but it covered the whole body. And the tunic that Jesus was wearing was especially valuable. It was, it was a single woven piece of fabric. And, and, and that, was, that was especially rare as compared to what someone normally would have worn. Because the soldiers see this tunic and, and typically they would have ripped the tunic to pieces and divided it amongst the soldiers. But they see this tunic and they say, let's not tear this. If we tear it, first of all, it's a single garment, so, so it won't tear well. Second, it'll, it'll lose its value. So, so what they decide to do, we're told in, in verse 24, they say, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to decide whose it shall be. The four soldiers that are there say, let's, they, when they say cast lots, it's essentially like, let's, let's roll dice for it. Let's, let's leave this up to chance. Let's roll dice and, and, and we'll see who gets it. So maybe they, if it was like today's dice, it would be like whoever got the highest roll would get the garment. That's what the soldiers do. They roll the dice and one of them for her, however it worked, got one of the garments because they, 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 they won the game. Now, this story is really interesting because we're, we're at the point in this gospel that we've been longing for, for from the beginning. This is Jesus on the cross. This is the atoning work that is necessary for salvation. Jesus is dying for the sins of mankind, but John's focus isn't on Jesus. John's focus isn't on the cross. He's, he's looking at the soldiers. And, and upon first reading, it would be like, why would you look at the soldiers? Who cares about the soldiers? They, they don't matter. What matters is what's happening on the cross. And other gospel writers include a whole lot more details about what's happening on the cross. But John, John looks at the soldiers. He talks about Jesus' garments being divided. Why? Why? Well, return so those truths, this, this first scene especially, especially reveals that first truth, that God is sovereign over Jesus' death. How does it do that? Well, at the end of verse 24, we're told that this scene happened to fulfill the scripture. This scene happened to fulfill the scripture. 
What that means is, is it, it's, it's a reference to, to the Older Testament. It's a reference to something that was written about a thousand years before. In fact, it was, it was written by King David. King David had written in, in Psalm 22 these words about a thousand years before. And, it, and it's a psalm that David's writing, but it's, a, it's, it's showing us what's going to happen to Jesus. It's showing us what's going to take place on the cross. Let me, let me read, get, get you some of the context of this, this prophecy by David. David says this. Listen, listen to the cross scene here. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all of my bones. They look. They stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. You know why John tells us this story? to show us that what David said would happen a thousand years ago under the influence of the Holy Spirit, in other words, what, what God revealed a thousand years ago, actually happened. In other words, even the soldiers are under God's sovereign plan. All of this, God is in control of it. God is in control over Jesus' death. He's in control of, of what's taking place. It's all part of his sovereign plan. Even the division of Jesus' clothing, God knew that that was going to happen. He prophesied it a thousand years before through, through the mouth of David. This isn't, this isn't the wrong thing happening when the soldiers are dividing Jesus' clothing, it may be easy to say, this is it. His, his last earthly possessions are, are going and, and, and everything, everything was worthless. He has nothing left and he's dying. But John's saying, no, God's in control over this. This is part of God's plan. Jesus' garments are divided and the prophecy is fulfilled. God is sovereign over Jesus' death in every aspect. Well, let's, let's keep going. Let's continue to see God's sovereignty and Jesus' obedience as we keep reading through this passage. The second scene, the second scene is Jesus cares for his mother. Jesus cares for his mother. mother. Now, now, John was focusing on the disciples. Now his view is going to change. He's going to look not actually back to Jesus, but he's going to look at four women. Look at the second half of verse 25. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. Again, if you were telling the story of Jesus' death, his atonement for sins, This story feels kind of unimportant. So why does John tell us this? He changes his focus from, from four soldiers to four women. He, he looks at, at, at Mary, Jesus' mother. He looks at Jesus' aunt, Mary's sister. He looks at Mary of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. They're, they're standing by the cross. They're standing right in front of Jesus. Also with them is the disciple whom Jesus loved. If you've been paying attention through the Gospel of John, and I hope you have, 
The disciple whom Jesus loved is almost certainly a reference to John. John never refers to himself by name, but, but as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so John tells us this very personal story of what Jesus said to him in regards to Jesus' mother. There's four women standing there, but Jesus singles out his mother, his mother Mary. And he says to, John, he says to Mary, Mary, behold your son. And he says to John, John, behold your mother. It's an interesting story because John is not Jesus' brother. John is not the biological son of Mary. Jesus has other brothers. He has other brothers. But he tells John to take care of Mary. It's a fascinating scene. And again, we ask, why would John tell us this story? This story begins to reveal Jesus' active obedience in his death. Remember that, that, that second truth? That second truth starts to be revealed in this story. That even on the cross, Jesus is concerned with caring for his mother. That, for Jesus, is a point of obedience. Jesus on the cross is taking care of his mother. At this point, almost certainly, Joseph is dead. Jesus, Jesus' earthly father is dead. Mary is, is now most likely a widow. She's on her own. And so Jesus, as the oldest son, was charged with taking care of her. This was, this was all part of how their, their custom worked. And, and, and he, was, he was called by the law to honor his father and his mother. And part of the interpretation of that law was, was taking care of them, making sure that she was cared for. Jesus, while he's on the cross, as he's dying, as the sins of mankind are upon him, he's still caring for his mom. He's still obeying the things that God has tasked him with. And some of his last words are him honoring his mother. Some of Jesus' final statements are making sure that his mother is going to be cared for physically and spiritually. That's the question. Why doesn't Jesus have one of his brothers take care of Mary? Why John? Well, we're told earlier in the Gospel of John that Jesus' brothers actually didn't believe in Jesus. They, 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 indications that some of them may have come to faith later. But at this point, there's no indications that any of his brothers believe in Jesus in his identity yet. So it seems that, that Jesus is entrusting his mother to someone whom he trusts to care for her, not only physically, but spiritually. And in doing that, Jesus is continually obeying God. Like he's not... He's not Maintaining the attitude that, okay, I've lived a life that's glorifying God up to this point. Now I'm being nailed to a cross. It's good. Like, I'm, I'm good. I'm done. I think I've done enough. No, Jesus on the cross is still actively obeying what God has for him. Jesus on the cross is still honoring his mother. Jesus is obedient even in his death. That's only two of the four stories. Let's, let's move to the next one. The, the next story is that Jesus is thirsty. Jesus is thirsty. In the next scene, starting in verse 28, we read, After this, Jesus, knowing that all had been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. 
A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus knows that his time of death is here. We don't know how exactly he knew that, if he could tell that he was about to die or if he's, he's, just giving, he's ready to give up his spirit. But Jesus says in verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished, Jesus knows that at this point he's done everything he needs to do before he dies, except one thing. Verse 28, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished, to fulfill scripture, said, I am thirsty. <laughs> so Jesus knows he's done everything he needs to do, but he also knows that in scripture, there was a prophecy that Jesus would be given vinegar to drink. And so we're told that Jesus, with that awareness, says, I am thirsty. Jesus knew that everything had been accomplished, but to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. Thirsty. There was a jar of, of sour wine. The soldiers took a sponge. They put the sponge in the wine. They put it on a stick and they lifted it up to the cross. Jesus drank that sour wine. That sour wine was actually, uh, it was used often in crucifixions. It was meant to be like a, like a sedative. It was supposed to, to calm them down so that the crucifixion process would actually be prolonged. Jesus drinks of that sour wine. And we're told that in doing that, again, the term shows up. He's fulfilling the scriptures. And, and both truths are shown here. God's in control of this thing. This is all part of God's plan. But also, Jesus is obeying in this thing. Jesus knows what the scriptures say. And, 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 and it's to fulfill these scriptures that he says, I am thirsty. And then the soldiers under the sovereign hand of God give him that sour wine. And then John, so quickly and succinctly, says, therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus fulfills this prophecy and he knows that there's nothing left to do before his death. And so he cries out, it's finished. It's done. I've done all that I've been called to do. I've lived a life of perfect obedience. I've completely submitted myself to the will of God. And the sin of mankind has been placed on me. So he says, it is finished. And he bows his head and gives up his spirit. That is the moment in which Jesus dies. It's funny, it feels almost anticlimactic 
He breathed his last. He gave up his spirit. Remember, John is telling this story in a unique way. A unique way. There's other gospel writers that have given us details that we can find in other places. John's agenda is not even necessarily to, to dwell on all the details of the crucifixion, but that we know that God's in control and that Jesus is obeying and it's an obedience that he says it's finished and it's an obedience that he gives up his spirit. It's an obedience to the will of God. Don't forget, it's done for us. It's done for you. That brings us to the fourth story. The fourth story is that Jesus is pierced. Jesus is pierced. Let's read the close of this passage. Then the Jews, because it was the day of preparation so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you also may believe, for these things came to pass to fulfill the scripture. Not a bone of himself shall be broken. And again, another scripture says they shall look on him whom they pierced. So what just happened is the soldiers came up to, to those who were being crucified, and they did what they almost always did in a crucifixion, that when it was time for them to die, especially if a Sabbath was approaching, they would break the legs of the men on the cross. And you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about how exactly crucifixion worked, that they had to push up with their legs so that they could breathe. And so when their legs were broken, they could no longer push up. They could no longer breathe, and death would come minutes later. So they did this to the two men on the cross, but they came to Jesus and saw, remember what we just saw, that he was already dead. So they don't break his legs. They take a spear and, and they pierce his side. They pierce his side. And when they do that, we're told that blood and water that had built up in him and in, in, in the cavity in his body, that blood and water poured out, proving that he was dead. Ask again, why this story? Why? It's finished, right? It's finished. Can't we move on? No. John tells this story because once again it shows that God is in control. That it was normal for those who were being crucified to have their legs broken. But there was a prophecy made, again, over a thousand years earlier that said not a bone of Jesus would be broken. And so if someone were to come and break Jesus' legs, that prophecy would have been shown to be false. But God's in control. This is all part of God's plan because they don't break Jesus' leg. They, they pierce him. In fact, that's what the prophecy says. Not a bone of him shall be broken, but that he would be pierced, that they would look on him whom they pierced. And so we see that God is completely in control. He's completely in control. All of this is under his sovereign plan. So how do we respond to this story? We'll close with this. How to respond to Jesus' work on the cross with the knowledge that God is in control and that Jesus is obedient, what do we do? Well, first, John actually calls us in verse 35 to believe. John says, I've told you all of this because I saw it. I have seen it. This is my testimony and my testimony is true. I know that I'm telling you the truth, John says. Why? So that you also may believe. So the first application is that if you don't believe this message, the call is to believe it. 
to accept this message of Jesus dying on the cross for the sins of mankind, to accept that as truth and repent from your sin. If you have any questions about how to do that, I want to encourage you to talk to your small group leaders tonight. Don't leave that up to chance. Because left up to chance, your destiny is secured. You must believe. You must repent. That's the first and primary application from this story. But I also want to encourage us to praise God for for two things. Praise God for his plan of salvation and praise Jesus for his obedience in salvation. If you've been saved by the blood of Jesus, rejoice. Rejoice in what we see here, that God was in control and that he sovereignly brought this about, that you might be saved and that Jesus was obedient. He submitted himself to that will and obeyed the Father.